Mine's good. Life good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, it's a great day to be here. I'm really excited to get talking about. All things curling. All things curling, indeed. It has been a pretty big week out in Leduc, Alberta, which is just outside of Edmonton. Uh, and actually, Devin Hero, when he tweeted about going there, uh, he said one of his favorite things about having this event or these events in Leduc was that flying into Edmonton is actually closer to Leduc than it is to Edmonton. Sure is. Yeah, the airport's right there. You yeah, know? you know, you so, live there for a year. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's basically where the airport is. So. Yeah, good for getting in and out, uh, good for curling fans in northern Alberta, and uh, there's been quite a lot of curling there this week. Yeah, so let's start with the mixed doubles, only because as we record this, it's the most recent one to have ended. We're recording uh, in the midst of the wheelchair final, uh, as it sits right now, it's in the third end, with a 2-1 score. Uh, so we don't know what the final is going to be there, uh, as we give away when we're recording this, but... Uh, the mixed doubles is the most recent to, to have finished. Kirk Myers, Laura Crocker defeating the Manitoba champions, Colton Lott and Kadriana Sahidik in a rather entertaining match this afternoon, uh, coming down to the last shot. Yeah, it was a really fun match to watch. You know, you, you th- thought the whole time that Crocker and Myers were just going to take a hold of that game, but uh, the, the Manitoba champs, they really showed what they were made of there, uh, pulling out a big three spot with the power play in seven. Really could have been four if not for a great shot by Laura Crocker on her last and uh, really put on a lot of pressure. Even in the, la- the last end, it looked like it was going to extras until, you know, a bit of a miss there on a big stage for a curler who's maybe not used to being uh, on such a big stage. Yeah, so let's talk about first that seventh end because you say Laura Crocker made a great shot, and she did. Um, but it's also not the shot they called. Uh, there were sort of three lined up there, one top 12. <laughs> excuse me, one on the T line, one just biting the back 12 foot. The shot they called was to double the top 12 foot in the T line rock. Uh, and they missed it and sort of ran it, nutted uh, nose on the, the one on the T line and got the back two. Yeah. But, so it wasn't what they called. But I mean, they figured if you hit some combination, you'll get two at least out of there. There was even a chance to get three of them if they'd hit it perfect. So, I mean, it, maybe it wasn't the specific one they called, but they knew they could get a double playing to that side of the house. Yes, and, and they certainly made it. And, and it was interesting, too, is, you know, in mixed doubles, being down one coming home with that power play is almost an advantage, whereas the numbers in the four-person game, despite sort of the, the maneuvering the teams do and to, to be down one with the hammer, you feel like you have control, but you don't. Like the numbers say that you don't, that you lose more often than not. Mm-hmm. in that situation, whereas in the mixed doubles game, the numbers are completely different. So being down one with is is really an advantage. Yeah, it really is, especially with that power play, as you mentioned. Yeah. You know, being able to move the rocks to the side and basically ensuring yourself that you'll get one makes it pretty a pretty big advantage. Yeah, and we certainly saw that in the last end, as you said. Uh, the Manitoba team... I think, you know, Myers and, and Crocker, Myers made some nice draws. They, they played behind the corner quite effectively. But the Manitoba team just 
sort of made good freezes, mm-hmm. made it really difficult. And yeah, on on Kadriana's last one, she had a, a hit. You want to? She wanted to roll to the right to the open side, and basically make Laura play either a, a draw or a soft weight hit, mm-hmm. uh, nose hit to to go into an extra. I think she floated it a bit and was a bit up uh, on the weight, and therefore essentially made the double that if she'd hit nose on that rock would have been left for Laura to try yeah, and make. Yeah, yeah. She basically made it for her. Yeah, um, basically did. It seemed it seemed like she was maybe a bit nervous, and and that's not the spot to miss wide and heavy. But, uh, no. you know, uh, that can be forgiven. They played a pretty great game. She made a pretty great draw there in seven, stone-cold open draw. Yeah. They mentioned on the broadcast that she had been heavy with a couple of her draws in the seventh end in previous games. So for her to collect her nerves there and, and make that draw was pretty big. And you know, if it comes down to to one shot and you get a little little outside on the ice, that you know, it's not as forgiving as as club ice as we've seen at other uh, other competitions. If you get it started outside, it doesn't tend to come back. So, you know, a tough go, but uh, they sure gave them a, a really good go. They they were undefeated in their pool, uh, coming through, getting the bye straight to the quarterfinals, and then beat some pretty big teams on their way to get there. You know, they beat uh, Jennifer Jones mm-hmm. and Brent Lang. Is that right? And who's the next team they beat? I can't remember. For the, the in Manitoba the sem- team? In the semifinals, uh, yeah. So they actually beat, uh, in the semifinal, in the quarterfinal, they beat Charlie uh, Thomas and Kaylin oh. Park. In the semifinal, Chelsea Carey, Colin Hodgkin. Oh, okay. uh, Or Hodgson, excuse me. Uh, it was uh, Myers and Crocker would beat Lang and, Lang and, Lang and Jones. Jones on the other side. So, I mean, there was a lot of really great teams there with great curlers that we see all the time on the tour. And for this team to to fight through all the ways to the, to the finals, I mean, that's pretty amazing. I, I thought I read an interview with them saying that they sort of thought, oh, well, you know, we'll do our best. And <laughs> when they saw their pool, they didn't like their chances. But but uh, great great week and great showing by this team. Yeah, and, and you know, certainly Kadriana uh, there, she's 18 years old. Colton is only 22. Now, he has announced, he played with Pat Simmons this year, that he's going to take a step back, mm-hmm. at least from the four-person game next year. Uh, I haven't seen a, a, an, in the announcement why, whether he's going to school uh, or if he just maybe got a, if he's out, he could be out of school uh, and now just started a new job maybe, uh, whatever he's doing. But he's not going to play competitively in the same way that he has in the past. We wonder if we'll see them again. And certainly Kadriana, they talked a lot about on the broadcast, this is her first major event. Uh, I think they even said first event outside of Manitoba. Uh, and here you are in a national final. You have the TV cameras going. Uh, it was on, not only was it uh, broadcast on, online, but that final was on the full CBC network as well. So. You know, first time playing in front of the cameras, and she mm-hmm. played really well. She's 18 years old, so maybe we see her at a junior next year, or, or maybe we see her uh, catch on, latch on to a team in the women's game. Uh, if not in this Olympic cycle, the next Olympic cycle. But certainly, you have to be optimistic based on what you see from them. Uh, now, on the other side, Kirk Myers and Laura Crocker, this is a team that was formed couple weeks ago uh they said in the briar patch after the final of the briar okay okay um, this is one of the teams that was formed of course laura crocker is engaged to uh, jeff walker from brad gushu's team Mm -hmm. so once they win the the briar going to the world championships obviously jeff can't play in the mixed doubles 
as a result of that commitment, she has to find a new partner and in the patch runs into Kirk Myers and asks if he wants to play and now they're national champions. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, all great uh, relationships are formed in the patch, I'd say, and uh, <laughs> this is no no exception. So, uh, I did hear they played one a spiel together as mixed doubles before and won it. So they continue the winning ways right here uh, and yeah, I mean Laura Crocker, along with Jeff Walker, they did quite well at the Olympic trials for mixed doubles. Yep. And they were the runner-up at the national mixed doubles two years ago in 2016. That's right. right? That's so she right. has a pedigree, obviously, in the four-person game on, on the women's side, mm-hmm. but she has also done very well in the mixed doubles side. Yeah, so it's nice to see. Uh, and they get their first chance to go to a, an international... Uh, spiel at the Worlds in, in Sweden. Yeah, for both of them, which is really good experience, and especially uh, if you look at Kirk, Kirk Myers, who's going to be skipping his own team next year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so th- this could be really good for him uh, in terms of helping to call games and watch lines and all that kind of stuff, which of course you do all the time. You used to play third for Steve Lightcock, but the more experience you can get, the better. Uh, and for Laura Crocker, similarly, uh, uh, a big step for her. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there watching, though. Uh, what is Jeff Walker thinking? <laughs> is Jeff Walker super excited right now? Is Jeff Walker kind of bum? Is Jeff Waff- Walker wondering if it's going to be a, uh, a situation like Caitlin Loss uh, from the Scotties going to the World Championship? Well, what happens? Well, uh, you he, know, like because there's no spare players in mixed doubles, you don't take a. A third player. That's true. That's true. And and so, uh, if you're wondering what Jeff Walker said, I, I did see did Kirk Myers gave a, a huge hug to Laura Crocker and lifted her up, kind of like Johnny Moe did to uh, to Caitlin. But uh, Jeff Walker tweeted right after, uh, "Yeah, baby, huge congrats to at L Crocker 19 and at Kirk Myers on Canadian Championship. Enjoy Sweden. Hashtag proud." <laughs> well, that's exciting, and I. I course wouldn't be surprised uh, if later in the week we see Laura Crocker in Las Vegas and now if, uh, in, in later in the month if we see Jeff Walker in Sweden uh, in, in the crowd yes in yes crowd. yes it's uh, you know it's a it's a long way to go but uh, worth it when you're supporting your loved ones absolutely so so congratulations there and this team I have to say like some of the wins they have uh, they went through quarterfinals Joan that team of Jones Lang um, and, and good on Jennifer Jones, too, just for uh, winning last week the Women's World Championship, the emotion of that with Jill Officer, mm-hmm. uh, that being her last major international event, and then flying from uh, North Bay, Ontario. Uh, I presume she might have gone home for a day, maybe, mm-hmm. and then uh, flying out to Leduc uh, with Brent and having a really strong week. That that I Good for her. I mean, that would have... I can't imagine uh, that happening, just the emotion of last week and coming out and trying to play again. Yeah, no, it's uh, really good on the, uh, on that uh, that Jones and, and Lang team. And speaking of recovering from the emotion, we got to hear Jill Officer in the booth today. Yeah, so Jill Officer, this was her first time really doing a broadcast, as far as I know. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she's done some work in Manitoba for some various events or, or even with CBC uh, a time or two. But this is the first time as far as I, or at least that I've heard her do commentary. She was there with Mike Harris. Not sure where Joan McCusker was, but I guess she was unavailable for this uh, event because normally she would be there. But they brought in Jill. First time, what did you think? You know what? 
I thought she was really great. She seemed uh, pretty relaxed in the booth. She didn't seem to be over-talking as you tend to do when you do uh, broadcasts, as I can <laughs> maybe say on this uh, this pod. But but she seemed relaxed. She was giving very good analysis. I liked the way she talked about the communication between the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, I thought it was a big win. Yeah, really, really well done. And the over-talking is something that's really important because uh, there's a tendency to want to fill empty space, like to not let there be any pauses, any silences. And, and that can be problematic if you're just talking for the sake of talking. And she avoided that really well. And so much so that at some points I, I wondered if the microphones had stopped working because none of them were talking. Hmm. But overall they did really well, uh, not talking over the players either, which is really important uh, with the players being mic'd up. That She, she didn't do that. Uh, so a really solid performance overall. Uh, the only minor critique I would have of it is she she didn't really question much. She sort of talked about the pro of each shot as opposed to other options or anything like that. And I find even Mike today, uh, Mike Harris, who is traditionally one of the more critical curling commentators that, that we have, mm-hmm. he was the same. He, he wasn't really critical of, of it. Not that you have to be critical, but it was it was more about saying, if you make this, this is what happens as opposed to looking at the other side or the missed side of shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the sense I got. Uh, so that's a minor critique. Uh, I mean, it's weird to say be more negative. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but but it was just different from what I'm used to hearing from a CBC crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if Jill, because Jill is sort of the op- all-time optimist and, and always having fun. If you see her when she plays, she, she's always upbeat and having fun. And I wonder if that attitude maybe rubbed off on my cares of it i don't know yeah maybe um, maybe uh it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward i i haven't heard any announcements about anything but uh you know give her uh give her a go every now and then and uh she'd be a good addition to any team i think yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens right because kevin martin is is there uh right because really all cbc does now is the grand slams on the weekends mm-hmm. and that's in conjunction with sportsnet so you have Joan McCusker, Kevin Martin, Mike Harris, really is your commentators. And do you want to bring in another voice to that? Uh, having another, having a woman there would be good to have balance between the, the male voices and the female voices. So I wonder if, if they would do that or, you know, given that they broadcast so much, you could have basically two different teams. Yeah. Right. If you bring in Bruce Rainey f- sort of full-time, right, at the Grand Slams you have four draws a day. So basically you could split it maybe if you go Bruce Rainey, Mike Harris, Joan McCusker as a team, and then you go Rob Falds, Kevin Martin, Jill Officer, and each of them do two draws a day. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and then when you get to the playoffs, they basically do multi-sheet coverage anyway, so... Uh, you you could yeah sort of split it that way, and then one of them does the men's final, one of them does the women's final, and there you go. Yeah, I guess it would depend what kind of ratings Sportsnet's pulling uh, to see if they can carry all those hefty salaries. Yes, I'm sure, I'm sure they are all making a whole bunch of money. Um, although you know Mike Harrison, I, actually I don't know how they all get paid because um, Mike Harris is Mike Harris writes for CBC, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know if they just. If he's contracted out to sports, I have no idea how it works. But 
Uh, well, I don't think any of us do, but... No, so if the people are paying for Mike Harris and Joan McCusker, they're certainly paying for Bruce Rainey, because Bruce yes. Rainey doesn't do any sports now. Yeah. Uh, he's only on when it's the CBC, so we'll see what happens with that. Or maybe even bring in Don Landry, oh, which boy. would be great. Uh, I always love hearing Don Landry. Now you're now you're getting into the old fantasy world there, Sean. Yes, I know. But the, the other possibility, too, with, with Jill Officer, let's not discount that this is the end of an Olympic cycle. Uh, Vic Router made a joke last night uh, on the broadcast that there were two babies. I don't know if it was last night or when we were watching. We watched last year's final. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two babies in the crowd, and he, he was sort of like, hopefully they make it to a, a world final themselves, but I won't be here to see. <laughs> so, uh, and if, if, if you've seen Vic Router lately, obviously he, he's had issues somewhat well-publicized with his hips. Mm-hmm. He's not moving around that well, so I wonder if he might look to retire at the end of an Olympic cycle here, uh, and if that prompts a reset in the TSN coverage, which could open up a spot for someone like Jill Officer. Yeah, yeah, we we don't know anything yet, but it's always fun to uh, fun to speculate what might happen. Sure, of course. Like, that's, that's really what we do. <laughs> that's all we do. <laughs> that's yeah. what we do. Um, so let's also mention, too, uh, a, a bit of a shout-out to Joe and Courtney Reed Carruthers, they lose in the semifinal of this event. Mm-hmm. They are, and this gets really got overshadowed. I know it got brought up a few times in Korea. They basically saved Curling Canada in terms of qualifying for the Olympics with their uh, second place finish last year. So they come out this year losing the semifinal to the eventual winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that team, I wonder if they'll stay together for another year, if not four years, because they are are very good at this discipline. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously it's a situation where Joe and Courtney is doing a lot of the work in terms of the sweeping, um, and she's really a powerhouse. But that's the sort of thing where you might be able to make a case that Caitlin Laws is the best women's player in a mixed double setting, you could also have a pretty good argument that Joe and Courtney is the best player for mixed doubles, women's player for mixed doubles. I agree. Uh, I agree. In the partnership, so uh, that's a team to to again. They, whenever they show up, they have solid performances. Yeah, exactly. And and what we need now, Sean, is for our friend uh, Curling Geek there. In addition to the great men's and women's team trackers uh, on that website, is to add a a uh, mixed doubles team tracker that's exactly what we exactly need. yeah that's yeah once we have that then we're locked and loaded so yeah check out curlinggeek.com for those uh those team trackers on there yeah the team trackers are phenomenal yeah um, really great work really great work yeah. so so yeah then uh, the challenge is up to somebody to get a, mi- a mixed doubles <laughs> team tracker but i think uh, oh boy i don't volunteer to do that it would be very very difficult <laughs> uh um, now i want to just say one other thing about the mixed doubles before we moved on uh, before I move on, uh, it's an interesting event in that there are provincial champions and territorial champions who are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Colton Lott, um, Kadriana, uh, Sahidic team were the Manitoba champions, uh, and they so they had the Manitoba jackets on. But over the past couple of years, as it has become more in vogue, and, and this is certainly the result of it being an Olympic event now. Mm-hmm. More and more players from the four-person teams are involving themselves in the mixed doubles, and that has almost diminished to me the provincial champions or the provincial championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016-2017, the finals did not feature a team that won their provincial championship. Uh, this year it did, uh, and a few years with uh, Charlie Park, Kalen. 
excuse me, Charlie Thomas, Kalen Park did the the Tux from Ontario. The tux, yeah. uh, they've made uh, a final, won a final before. Uh, but I do wonder about this this format now that you know curling Canada doesn't like to make real big changes within an Olympic cycle. So this spring, I wonder what they're going to do with the mixed nationals because uh, a lot of the teams get in by their points on the four people circuit. Mm-hmm. So I wonder now, as more and more places are going to have mixed double spiels, if some players are going to really devote themselves primarily to mixed doubles, we'll see if that happens. But I wonder what happens now with this event, where you have 13 provincial territorial champions, yeah. but other teams get in as well, um, which is different, though, from the wild card or Team Canada, where you know Team Canada won the year before, mm-hmm. the wild card team is the best other team. This is, you know, more. What is it? More than half the field, or half the field, is teams that did not win a provincial, territorial championship, which is fine with me. But I think they have to decide what this event is. But I think it's nice, Sean, to have this kind of mix because with mixed doubles, you can have a lot more teams, as we've seen at World Championships and and that sort of thing, because the games are shorter. You can do it in pools. I like the idea of the provincial champions mixing in with some of the players that we see play on tour regularly. Uh, yes, most of the time those more pro players tend to beat the provincial champions, but it's kind of cool, like having played in a, in a provincial championship myself, I thought, oh boy, this would be really cool if I won this and got to go to nationals. And then, you know, I'm playing on the same ice as some of these players that I see on TV. Like, I think that's kind of cool. So it almost turns into a pro-am. A little bit, At that yeah. point. Yeah, but, but in a way, like, you've still earned your way there. You know, yeah. I, um, I was looking here, uh, Roxanne Perrone. Uh, I played against her in in Quebec, and I'm glad to see, glad to see their team uh, getting there. And you know, the Smallwoods are there, so mm-hmm. there's and like the Tucks, as you mentioned. Yep. So it's kind of cool to see, um, not just an event that would that would be, oh, this is just another Grand Slam event with all the same players. I think it's nice to sort of have everybody involved, and you can do it in the format that mixed doubles. Mm-hmm has right now i will say though if this wasn't an olympic event uh i do wonder you know because because it wasn't for a long time yeah curling canada might not care as much about who they sent now they care because you need the points to to qualify for the olympics that's why i think there's going to be changes is to ensure that for curling from curly canada's perspective that you get the best teams there yeah but they already are getting the best teams there they're also getting like they're they're also getting provincial right. provincial champions that aren't necessarily the best teams. So, like, I mean, in the last two years, we've seen players who are mainstays on tour win. Yeah. And I don't see it as being really a problem. Right. Well, the last three years, really. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or if, and even if you want to go back to, to 2015 with Charlie Thomas and Caitlin Park when they win. Right. Uh, they play a lot on tour as well. So, yeah, the last four champions are, are tour players. So, so it's not... I don't think it's hurting anybody to let uh, provincial champions play, uh, and I'm not saying that's what you're arguing. Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I, well, I'm just I'm just thinking that there needs to be a more defined qualification process, maybe. Um, I think it's pretty well defined. It's based on your points. Uh, yeah, but okay, maybe maybe what I'm saying though is I would like to see teams not not to be all Steve Simmons about this because this is a, this is another article that Steve Simmons could write. Uh, two people who haven't really played together yeah. winning an event. Um, so you know, so you want so it to be 
predetermined mixed doubles team. Yeah, I want, I want these teams to be able to play a bit, right? I, and the schedule, what's interesting to me is that when you look at the cash spiel schedule, the Grand Slam, Grand Slam schedule, there's not a lot of time there to play mixed doubles. And I wonder if there's a way in which there can be maybe a little more balance that allow the players the time off that they want during the season. You don't want to play every weekend during the season, but also allows there to there to be a little more consistency in the teams that are playing mixed doubles, or they get more reps at mixed doubles through the course of the year. Uh, so I just wonder if there's a way to do that. Uh, or even, what? why not, I mean, we have way too many Grand Slams, in my opinion, why not change something like the Elite 10, which I really don't like, mm-hmm. into a mixed doubles Grand Slam? Like, why not have that? And allow there to be more exposure, more games to be played, and then it wouldn't feel, maybe it just feels random to me that we never see these people play together, and then all of a sudden they're in a national event. So maybe that's my issue. I think I understand uh, what you're saying. I th- the mixed doubles circuit is sort of a European circuit, right? Yep. Whereas the Grand Slam Tour is a basically Canadian uh, tour. So part of the reason you don't see these teams playing in mixed doubles is because it's over in Europe. However, with the first mixed doubles Olympics under the belt of uh, the World Curling Federation, what we could see, uh, and we're seeing, for instance, here in Ottawa, I got an email about, hey, we're going to do a a multi-club sort of mixed doubles league. Uh, And it's going to be at multiple clubs because no club wants to assume, you know, the cost of one dedicated time slot because yeah, you're losing because you lose money you're so money. if it rotates to different clubs it sort of spreads out the hurt but maybe we see these sorts of leagues spring up where curlers who aren't prepared to travel you know all over the country for the whole winter maybe they start to play mixed doubles in a like sort of an elite league in a city and then that's sort of the grassroots and we get new curlers coming up who are specialized in mixed doubles that can actually pose a threat to these yeah. super teams that come together at the last minute and because they're the ones that have been doing it and maybe they decide okay I'm going to take some time and go to Europe and play in a couple events and and you know maybe that's what Curling Canada is hoping for which I think would be better to be honest than having you know the best players from these random teams come together and win mm-hmm. perhaps if the program itself is strong enough then they can uh they can avoid these random pairings. Right, because the thing that sticks out in my mind is after the uh, the trials, uh, the Canadian curling trials in October, or excuse me, in um, uh, December here in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. After the final, not to be fair, it's the final, and you just lost a rather devastating game. But somebody asked Mike McEwen, "Is there any consolation knowing that you still have the trials with Don?" For the mixed doubles, and he said very matter-of-factly, no. Yeah, uh, it's not, and, and so I don't want mixed doubles to be this afterthought. No, exactly. For players, exactly. right? You want it to be something that is sought after for for players, mm-hmm. and that's sort of my concern. Maybe is that I want if if we can develop more dedicated mixed doubles players. You know, it's almost like tennis, right? And I think of Daniel Nestor, sure. who was never really a great singles player, but arguably one of the best doubles players of all time, surely the best doubles Canadian player of all mm-hmm. time, because it's a very different skill set yeah. uh, in terms of what you have to do. Yeah, and if 
if the, the Olympics serves as a carrot for somebody, say, who doesn't want to play a four-man game or can't or li- doesn't live close to enough people, you know, and they can develop it sort of on their own and, and pose it like a challenge yeah. for a national title, I think that would be the best case scenario. And yes. I think Curling Canada would agree with that. Yeah, so we'll see what happens uh, in the spring here as Curling Canada reevaluates all their programs. Mm-hmm. This is what they do every four years. Yep. Uh, so they'll reevaluate both the men's and women's mixed doubles programs, but they also they they always reevaluate the juniors, the seniors, the wheelchair program. They they do everything. Sure. Uh, so they'll have a big big uh, massive evaluation here. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that for the mixed doubles uh, for me. Uh, so also in Leduc this week, uh, we mentioned the wheelchair event briefly. Um, as we're recording this, the finals are ongoing. Uh, the bronze and uh, gold medal games are being run simultaneously on sheets B and C out there on Leduc. I feel somewhat comfortable uh, suggesting mm-hmm. that Saskatchewan is going to win. Yeah, they uh, got it to a 6-1 lead, eh? Yeah, so they, they got a deuce in the first end with the last rock, forced in the second, and then cracked a big four in three, steal f- one of in four. So they're 7-1 lead halfway through the game there on the bronze medal side British Columbia also with a 7-1 lead so as it sits as we record this a little anticlimactic uh, out there Mm -hmm. in the Duke for this last draw Uh, so we'll be presumptuous and say that Saskatchewan has won if they haven't that is incredibly an an incredibly exciting game yes uh, that we should go watch and Uh, you know like they scored a four british columbia i think scored a four so anything's possible here in this yeah british uh, columbia stole four stole four so in Um, this format you know anything is is possible there's there's a chance to score big ends yeah because again and i've talked about this before but when i talked to mark uh, idison the skip of team canada at the uh, the paralympic games Mm -hmm. he talked about how you have to be a little more conservative in what you're doing. You, you don't have quite the same control because you have no sweeping on the rock. So it can be a little harder to defend leads there um, with with what's uh, just, just the nature of that sport. What, but what's really cool to me, um, the skip for Team Saskatchewan is uh, Marie Wright, who, of course, was on that Paralympic mm-hmm. team. Sort of became the darling of the games for a lot of folks. She's a very... Uh, a very uh, inspirational figure, lots of really interesting stories written about her and her story. And if you haven't read any of them, please do go read about her. Uh, she's a remarkable, uh, a remarkable woman. Uh, and uh, just the even I, I don't really I don't really talk to her uh, during that press conference, other than just sort of brief pleasantries. But just she she did sort of have this air about her of just eternally happy and optimistic, and we certainly saw that in South Korea as well. So. An early, perhaps too early even, uh, very presumptuous congratulations to Team Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so also out in Leduc this week was the university championships Yes, being held. So uh, congratulations go to the winners of those championships. So I, it oh. was the Alberta, Alberta sweep? Yeah, the Alberta, Alberta sweep. The University of Alberta sweeps both the men's and the women's. Uh, the University of Alberta, as far as I know, the only school in the country to do this, where they give different nicknames to the men's and the women's teams. Uh, so for the men, the Golden Bears win, and for the women, it is the Pandas that are successful. Uh, so the University of Alberta sweeps 
the university championships there. Uh, and I believe those two teams will then go to the uh, Universiad games. Universiad? Universiad uh, yeah, okay. games uh, to, to play there. Uh, on the men's side, uh, Karsten Sturme skips that University of Alberta team. And we've seen him before. He played Brendan Botcher in the Alberta men's final this year. That's right. Uh, in a, a somewhat close game, Brendan Botcher had to make uh, an incredible double. Uh, I believe it was the fifth or sixth end uh, in that game to really crack it open. Uh, but they had a really good run there at the Boston Pizza Cup, and mm-hmm. now he caps off his season with that. So uh, so congratulations to them. And actually there was, uh, I think Devin Hero tweeted that Brendan Botcher was at the event uh, cheering on his alma mater because, of course, he played in this event when he was a member yes. of the Golden Bears. Yes, uh, he was uh, the skip there for the Golden Bears. And on the women's side, uh, it was Kristen Streifel was the skip of the of that team. And she, of course, won the Canadian Junior Championship last winter, 2017. Right, so... So represented Canada at the world stage. Yeah, so really some power players uh, at the university, uh, the games there. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Carson Sturme, too, with his sister, right, played in the mixed doubles. That's right. Uh, and Devin Hero tweeted that they went right from the... The closing banquet, so they got all dressed up, mm-hmm. and from the closing banquet of the university games, they went right to the locker room and got changed for their opening draw of the mixed doubles. Uh, wow. So uh, a bit of a quick turnaround for them. Yeah. Uh, so I, they didn't do as well, obviously, as they would have liked in the mixed doubles, but understandable, I think, given the circumstances. I'd say this is sort, sort of like uh, the, the USA Hamiltons, Hamiltons yeah. uh, playing mixed doubles and team event at the, at the Olympics. So, <laughs> you know, uh, congratulations to all the athletes out there. We had university, mixed doubles, we have wheelchair curling, and we also had the senior championship. Yeah, so the seniors also finished up last week. Uh, now, this event was not held in Leduc. The champions were Sherry Anderson on the women's side, back-to-back championships for Sherry Anderson. First time since the early aughts that somebody has repeated as national champions for the seniors, which is a very uh, exciting moment for Sherry Anderson. We love Sherry Anderson on the show. Uh, I really like Sherry Anderson. Uh, She announced that she's going to play again, of course, next year. Different team, uh, but again, a young team that she's going to be playing with. And then on the men's side, local for us was Brian Cochran. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never played against Brian Cochran. I've played next to Brian Cochran uh, at the Cash League at the Rideau Curling Club. And so obviously, uh, congratulations to those two teams. That's right. And that event was held in Stratford, Ontario. Home to Dave St. Louis, skip of Team Nunavut, as Vic Router will tell us every time he's on TV. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, a big congratulations to those two teams, and they're off to the World Senior Championships. Um, so representing Canada. So, so all the best to them moving forward. So let's talk briefly, Scotty, here. Um, about as we're recording this, uh, Brad Gushu uh, is one on one. But uh, the game I really want to talk to about is the Scotland game, and really the tenth end there, mm-hmm. where Brad Gushu was short on time in the tenth end. They're up one. Scotland has the hammer mm-hmm. coming home, and Scotland has one rock in play. Was Brad goes to throw his last one, but it's sort of half frozen, and Mark Nichols thinks that they have to play a slash 
off of another uh, Canadian stone to get it out because he thinks if they nose it, it'll jam. Mm-hmm. The, the Scottish stone will jam on one in the back forefoot as it comes off the Canadian stone to which it is frozen. So he thinks the slash... Ragusha doesn't look at it because they're short on time. That's right. P- plays the shot, hit it where they wanted to hit it, jams, and Bruce Mowat just has to draw into, I believe, just the eight foot, For and the win. Uh, yeah. he w- he wins the game. Uh, after the game, I watched the the scrum afterwards. Brad was sort of very open that he felt it was his fault for not looking at it, and that basically they they should have looked at it more. My initial gut when I looked at the angles, I thought both of them jammed, to be honest with you. Okay. They just sort of try and play a draw, a corner freeze on the one that Bruce just threw, try and sit two, make him hit the open one Mm -hmm. for one, but uh, I don't know. What did you see? Okay, so, yeah, we haven't talked about this at all, and my gut was to do the shot that they played. My first instinct was the slash. I thought that if you hit it hard enough and you get it spinning, then it rolls... Like, maybe it jams, but it definitely rolls out. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the just the way they hit it, the turn they had to throw to make it go, sort of made it a dead hit, a dead jam, where, where if they, you know, maybe if they took the other turn or whatever, uh, it might not have jammed. But I did think that when Brad put his broom down and said, hit it nose, I was like, whoa, 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 I think that's jamming. Yeah. And so I agreed with Mark on that. Looking back, yeah, okay, maybe try to sit two and not leave a double. But like you said, they were short on time, so I don't think they had the sort of the the wherewithal to think about that kind of shot. Yeah, and, and what's interesting too, I think, because Mark said as Brad was at the other end, he said, does it jam? And, and Mark said, well, if it touches it, it's going to spin and go out. Mm-hmm, that's and what I was thinking too. I think that's true. <laughs> now, you know, Brad has been very open about the fact he doesn't throw it as hard as he used to. Mm-hmm. You know, if Brad Jacobs is throwing that shot, if Mike McEwen is throwing that shot, Brandon Botcher is throwing that shot, yes, the, the rock spins out all day. Heck, if Mark uh, Nichols is if Mark Nichols throws shot. it, or Brett or uh, Brett Gallant, yeah. or Jeff Watt, anyone else really uh, of the top players can throw it. But Brad, because of his injuries, uh, his hip injuries, he doesn't throw it as hard as he used to. So that was the real question for me. Uh, knowing that Brad doesn't throw it quite as hard as some of the other guys on tour, it's certainly not as hard as the Scotland guys who were just whipping it down the ice yeah. uh, all night last night uh, with great accuracy and, and to great effect. But that's the thing that I, I noticed. And, mm. and again, I, I noticed this um, in in Ottawa that I thought Brad was higher in his stance mm-hmm. uh, when he throws because he's injured. And if you watch him walk after he throws, uh, as he, especially after a last rock when they show him and he sort of walks back, to the near end. He very rarely goes to the far end to do like a team meeting. Mm-hmm. Sort of walks back to the boards. He walks very gingerly. Yeah, uh, they they were talking a bit last night about uh, the tightness that he gets sort of on the side of his leg and and uh, I, I can definitely relate to that because <laughs> holy cow do I get uh, really tight there when I play too many games. So uh, yeah, I mean it's something to look for and he rehabbed uh, in the fall, I mm-hmm. believe, uh, s- some of the injuries that were hurting him. Yeah. And he took time off last season where That's Mark right. Nichols skipped. Yeah, so, you know, uh, as we as we age, our bodies don't <laughs> respond the way they used to. But, right. uh, and yeah. throwing a curling rock puts so much pressure on the hip and the knee uh, of the leg that's, that's leading that I, I would have to think that there's some 
damage that's done to those ligaments in there. Just the amount of times you're doing it, the amount of pressure that's on it, especially for sure. an elite player like Brad, who throws as much as he does, has to be something something there. Now, this team has announced that they'll be back for another cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see if Brad takes some time off at some point in that cycle, uh, if there's some injury. But that that was the interesting part of that end to me, Yeah, is that if, if somebody else is throwing that rock, where they can really fire it down. Like, if Jason Gunnelson throws it, th- there's no question whatsoever. As All to the rocks happens. will be like, gone. Like, yeah, the whole the whole building will be gone. It'll just sort of spontaneously <laughs> combust from how fast he throws it. But that's the one that uh, – th- it was really interesting to me. So by the time you're listening to this, this is sort of old news. But an interesting game, especially for Scotland now. Mm-hmm. Um See if they can use this momentum. Uh, of course, if by the time you're listening to this, they're like one and four, then <laughs> obviously they didn't. But uh, a really good young team and a really interesting early game in the week there. So uh, the other thing we wanted to talk about, Scotty, before we wrap up here, uh, is some of the feedback we got on our uh, World Men's Championship preview. Always happy to hear some feedback from the fans and our good friend Jason uh wrote in to correct a couple of the things we said. Yes. Which is great. Uh, so about Team Aoki, Team Japan here, we were a little confused. We couldn't figure out where they were. Then we figured out they were a junior team, but that's as far as we got. So Jason pointed out they played at the World Junior B event this year, lost the quarterfinal, and so didn't make it into the main event, of the main World Juniors event. Yep. Uh, and also when we talked about Brad Gushu losing to Joel Returnez, uh, we said that was the only game he lost, but that is, of course... Incorrect. Incorrect. He lost three games to... Palinholm. Return has Palinholm and uh, Marku Usipavlniemi. Yeah, so I tweeted back at Jason from the Game of Stones account that, that that game against Finland, that's the game that seems like an outlier in, <laughs> in 2016 in context. Uh, yes, like, yes. Because oh. you, don't, you don't see Finland that much anymore. No, but Marku, he, he maybe won. He had a good run. Yeah, he, he had a really good he run. Was he was at good the Worlds all the time. Really I, met a, I met a guy from Finland uh, when I was traveling there in, in the fall, and he said, oh, yeah, we referred to him as U18 or U15 or however many letters <laughs> All are in the his letters. Name, he's right? got all the letters in his name. And uh, he said, oh, yes, I remember that. That's what I know of curling. So <laughs> that was uh, that, that's a pride of Finland, Mark you. Yeah, and Jason mentioned, too, that he'll be in Ottawa next weekend uh, for an event. Uh, I wonder if it's the event, the, the Celebrity Skip event, uh, whatever, the name of that escapes me at the moment. Uh, but Jason mm. said he'll be in town next week, which is unfortunate because neither of us will be here. Yeah, we're both um, heading out of town. We're both heading out of town, uh, which is also one of the reasons we're recording this um, a couple days before we're going to release it. Uh, so we hope that Jason enjoys his time in the nation's capital, and we regret that we won't be able to uh, to meet him in person. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it should be a great event here in Ottawa. Yeah, so if that's what he's coming for... Uh, and if not, whatever he's coming for. He's coming to Curl, I, I believe. So uh, enjoy that event, Jason, and uh, we'll try and catch up with you next time you're in town. Absolutely. Um, now, all in all, Scott, just just the last thing I want to talk about, real brief. Do you like the idea of having all these events together in one location? You know what? For the kind of events, I, I do kind of like it. I think being able to go and see three different events rather than, okay, one Someone's got to go to Leduc. Somebody's got to go to Portage. Somebody's got to go to some other random town. I think having them all in one place uh, is good for the fans, 
first of all. Mm-hmm. It's really good for Curling Canada, for logistically. Save a lot of money. Save a ton of money. You just set it up, you know, once, and you're there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's good for awareness because they can market it as, oh, hey, there's a bunch of curling coming. Come on down. And there's probably something for everyone. Yeah, and the good thing, too, is is for someone like the CBC, that they can just set up shop for 10 days. Yeah. And yeah. do it. And they, they've done a really good job. They've streamed. They streamed all of the mixed doubles. They streamed a bunch of the university games, if, mm-hmm. if not one draw or one game from all the draws from the university games. They also have done a really good job with the wheelchair event as well. So I think it's really good from that perspective. And the key to me, though, is put it in places that will care. <laughs> That's know, right. right. Putting it in a place like Leduc, people care about it. The crowd today was pretty good uh, at that event, uh, at the final today. So put it. Don't put it in somewhere. Don't put it in a big city, frankly, um, mm-hmm. right where something could get lost in the shuffle. Keep putting it in smaller curling communities. Uh, and yeah, I love the idea of it. Uh, the The only potential problem, as we saw this week. With this, the the Sturmes, the the Sturmes siblings there is the logistics if you're playing in two of the events. Mm-hmm. But given the four events that are there, there's not going to be that much crossover. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, it's not like the seniors champ is playing in the wheelchair event is playing. Right. Uh, I guess doubles. I guess the seniors event wasn't there, but but no, you know but what I mean. Yeah. It's, there's not a lot of crossover, like you said. So. Yeah. So. For, for all those reasons, yeah, really good idea. And it allows for the coverage, too, which I think is key. Right? I don't think CBC would be doing this if everything was all over the place Yeah, uh, in the yeah. same way, right? You can you can just send the crew out there, and they do their job for 10 days, and that's it. Yeah, and it gives a lot more coverage to these events that might otherwise not get it. Yeah, and honest. next year they can uh, – I'll be curious to see the schedule for next year because everything won't be as compacted next year. Mm-hmm. So hopefully next year it can have its own stage, too where right now it's competing with the men's worlds and mm-hmm. the start of the university one was just uh, was coming off and, and during the end of the women's world championship. So hopefully next year, a little less compacted schedule, so hopefully we can get a little more coverage on that. But overall, uh, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been, uh, it's been fun. Yeah, so that'll put a pin in this week's episode. I say this week's episode because we're only going to do one this week because as we mentioned, we are heading out. Uh, I am heading off to uh, Europe for some work uh, with the Vimy Foundation, taking some high school kids uh, to various battlefields and cemeteries in Europe to talk about and and learn about the First World War. Scott is heading off to the United States of America, uh, and I will be meeting him there on, uh, God willing, on April the 10th. Yeah, so we'll, we'll try to record uh, at least one, maybe a couple pods while we're away. Yeah, so we'll try and do a reaction to the Men's World Championships uh, upon our reuniting uh, in St. Louis, even though I won't be able to watch much of it. So I'll basically just be asking you questions about what happened. Cool. I'll make sure to be to watch as much as I can this week. Yeah, and then we'll see what else we can get on the road. Uh, and then we'll also talk a little bit about the last two events on the calendar for the season with the Players' Champion and the Champions' Cup that will finally put an end to perhaps the longest curling season we've ever had. And oh. by perhaps, I mean definitely. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's been... It's been a wild ride, you know, Sean, ever since uh, we we got together and went out to that Olympic trials there in in 
December. So yeah, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll put a bow on it. Uh, we might talk, uh, there was a great blog by, uh, our friend at twine time, uh, yeah. different, uh, playoff scenarios. Yeah. We should, we'll, we should break that down. We'll too. talk through maybe yeah. some of those. Mm-hmm. We'll, you know, finally dig, dig into these team shakeups that have happened. So there's a lot more, uh, podcasting to do. Yeah. And we'll have some stuff over the summer too, that we, we have planned some stuff that, uh, we'll keep the conversations going through the summer which i'm very excited about some of the stuff that we have uh, mm-hmm. that we have coming up so and i look forward to vic router's final video essay of the year i'm sure it'll be a bit of a tearjerker uh, as he recaps the whole year that was he almost did it during the women's uh, final i don't know if you watched it i, I always stick around for that uh, video <laughs> essay uh, but he uh yeah he sort of recapped the year there i'm sure he'll do it again after the men's which is always always a fun capper to the season so That'll do it for this week. We will hopefully talk to you all again next week uh, in the interim. If you haven't subscribed yet to the show, please do on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can give us a rating, uh, some likes, and all that fun stuff. Uh, if you have any comments for the show, questions, things you want to see, you can email us, gameofstonespodcast at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at gameofstonespod. Scott is at scottlakestv. I am at Dr. Shawnee Fever. So until we talk to you again, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.